millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six hours. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to one field and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you show me, man. It was a truly bonkers day of Premier League football. Five games played, 24 goals scored, one Erling Haaland enraged. And we will get to all of that on today's Second Captain's Football Pod. But tis the season for throwing your hat in the ring for the Republic of Ireland manager's job. <laughs> Neil Lennon has wow. done it, Steve wow. Bruce as well, I'm sure a few others. And today we bring you a world exclusive as Big Sam declares his interest in succeeding Stephen Kenny right here on the Second Captain's Podcast. What are you smiling at, Ken? Hey, guys. Oh, hey, how you? how's it going? Sam Allardyce. You're smiling at your relentless enthusiasm this Monday. You might have seen a photo of Big Sam over the last couple of days taken in Dublin Airport whoever took the picture wrote Big Sam in Dublin Airport get into the bookies next Ireland manager (laughs) 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 well I can confirm Allardyce was in Dublin he was because we we, we cited him but he wasn't out with the well he might have been with the FAI in Abbottstown as well we don't know but he was in fact with us at the National Stadium on the South Circuit of Road as our special guest for our biggest live show ever and we got straight down to business but we have got a guest, I believe, to match the occasion this evening. Please welcome, he's waited long enough, Sam Allardyce! Nobody has uh, officially made any, any uh, offer in terms of the situation of whatever shortlist they may have been brought up or got up. So, obviously, that's all done through my, uh, uh, my agent, of course, which is... Uh, Way, the way things go today. So uh, you know, uh, wh- whatever they or whoever they choose is a big, big decision for them, of course, because obviously um, they failed a bit recently in the last few, the last few seasons, to say the least. And I don't know whether that's the, the manager or whether that's a combination, the manager and and of course the team. You know. What, so, do, you think, what do you think was going wrong? Well, I don't know how, how you get the. You've got to get the. You've got to get the best out of your players, and getting your best out of your players is not all about. Only the, I don't know if you've got the brainwashing over here about playing tippy tappy football. 
I mean, I, we've, we've tried a bit of that in the last few years. Yeah, I, I, I run a podcast called No Tippy Tappy Footballer. <laughs> so, you know, I, I can't, I can, I can, I love, I love the football that Manchester City play and uh, Liverpool or Arsenal because they're clever enough and good enough to do it. But unfortunately, in England, I don't know about here, it's a disease because it's down in League Two. And I watch more goals being scored by the centre-halves giving the ball back to their centre-forward and scoring than I ever see any other thing. Like. So I think it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's about... I've always been pragmatic in terms of how good are the players and we will suit a, a system and a style for those players and play to the strengths and, and, of course, try and cover the weaknesses when all said and done. And if you're playing a team so much better than you, it will be about... Uh, what you can do with the limited possession you've got and how good you are at defending to try and get the opportunity to score a goal to win a game of football. So I play winning football. That's what I play. Good answer, but not the answer to the question I originally asked. No. Have you got any interest in the Ireland manager's job? Yes, I would always have an interest and always like to speak to them, of course. So uh, that, that would be... That would be, it'd, be, it'd be nice to uh, be interviewed and uh, see where, where they're going, what they're thinking. And, uh, of course, it's just a, sh- a short journey over from today. It was just a short journey over by plane. So, yeah. And, of course, you've not to forget that I spent a full season at Limerick, like you mean. So, you know, that was, that was an eye-opener, to say the least. <laughs> there you have it. Big Sam officially throwing his hat in the ring as the man to reverse the brainwashing we've all been subjected to (laughs) over the last couple of years. That was right at the start of the conversation. He had the crowd... When we said at the very start of the show that Big Sam was going to be here, it was an unbelievable reaction. like One of the biggest we've ever had to a guest. Everyone was like, oh yeah, amazing. And as you can hear there, he he has the crowd on side early on. Was that still the case by the end of the conversation? I was worried they were going to start throwing balls at one point. (laughs) Let's just say the Big Sam worldview didn't quite chime with the majority of the 1800 people in attendance he wasn't exactly carried he wasn't carried shoulder high out of the place straight to FAI HQ with people demanding he be the man to lead Irish football I've heard enough here tonight let's give the man the job it was a it was a fascinating thing to be a part of it was I gotta say it was um, yeah one of the one of the stranger <laughs> interviews we've done, stranger experiences we've had in front of a live crowd. That was definitely the first time I was worried the crowd might, elements of the crowd might rush the stage, <laughs> you know? <laughs> there, were, there was a time when we had David Walsh over when it got kind of hairy yeah. in Liberty Hall. I think a few people in the crowd had a few drinks mm. and they started taking exception to uh, David Walsh's uh, I can't well, what exactly was it, it was David Welsh like, was on to talk it was a conversation that we actually ended up having with Paul Kimmage more recently but uh, it's basically about Sean Kelly and Stephen Roach's place in the pantheon of Irish sports people and so on yeah and that one did yeah that was a the, that the was crowd thought, thought there was elements of uh, inconsistency let's say in some mm. of the, the David Walsh as well this person did drugs and is a cheat and this person mm. is a hero uh, they didn't like that but uh, this was uh, <laughs> It was uh, quite a negative reaction from from elements of the crowd. I was thinking, please be, please be nice. Sam, <laughs> Sam also did have quite a Sam. I'm calling him now, of course. Did also have quite a bit to say about his last international job, how that ended when his time in charge of England was cut short after he was caught up in a newspaper sting. 
Um, that was very interesting. So anyway, that interview will be available in full for World Service members this Wednesday. Secondcaptains.com, five euro a month plus VAT if you want to sign up to hear it. Also on the World Service this week, coverage of the full round of midweek Premier League fixtures. And we've got the second captains with Sinead O'Carroll and Maliki Clerken. Sports Book of the Year show tomorrow. Fucking hell. That's a week now. Poof, right, that is a week. a week. What a week to sign up. The next and final episode with Richie Sadler of the current series is also out this week. Hope you're ready for the next episode. Yep. And Richie's going out with a bang. We are very excited about the guest this week. All uh, will be revealed. <laughs> Mick McCarthy ruled, so yeah. on and so forth. Interview due to take place tonight. Works. So, yeah. yeah, but it'll be revealed on Wednesday. And that's available separate to the World Service. That's wherever you normally get your podcasts. So, um... Football bloody hell. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, after listening to Sam Allardyce explain why this was all uh, terrible. So awful. <laughs> yeah, everything to do with all this brainwashing that's been going on with people trying to <laughs> pass the ball to each other and stuff. Um, we then had a really very spectacular day, <laughs> this Sunday particularly, of... Uh, some, well, there was also this Ipswich goal. Have you seen this? Have yeah, you seen the Ipswich yeah. goal? That that's Kieran McKenna, who who was working um, with Man United with Solskjaer at Man United, mm. is now getting Ipswich to score. Oh, I didn't realize that connection. The Irish guy, yeah, who was one of the sort of forlorn figures in that yeah. in, in the in the backroom team towards the end of the Solskjaer reign. Yeah, he's he's like a he's like a, a poet of coaching. Oh. Wow. Uh, Ipswich sweeping from one end of the pitch to the other and across the pitch and back and then uh, Ricardo charismaing it into the top corner outside of the right I mean it's a pretty good goal I mean come on this is crazy this is brilliant I mean, some of that for the Ireland uh, men's national football team some good tiki taka football yeah yeah more Um, tippy tappy football (laughs) well there was a couple of belts involved in it as well you know cross field balls and then the goal itself was a couple of diags finish listen you can mix a match that's what I love about McKenna and it's now irrepressible McKenna for Ireland that's what I'm saying get him on the blower Simon let's see if he can put his hat in the ring (laughs) I'm on a roll I got Neil Lennon tell him who who he'll be talking to that's all you need to say I mean the kingmaker (laughs) is making his approach Mr. McKenna (laughs) the only problem is that uh, managing Ipswich is now Maybe considered to be a better job than managing Ireland, you know. If such are probably going to get promoted from the championship, maybe not. But, but the, if they're looking like they're going to get promoted from the championship, that means he'll be the manager of a Premier League club, and you know, compared to football's NBA, mm. uh, are we really in that league? Uh, maybe, maybe we can get back to him in about twenty years. You know, he's winding down. Maybe ten years. Get him, Cur- get him over for a live show. Cruz a bit burn a bit faster now. You know. Yeah. He, uh, people oh. cram a lot more in. One qualifying campaign. We'll see Ipswich promoted. Ipswich finish twelfth. Uh, McKenna Sands. Ipswich seventeenth uh, <laughs> uh, on November the thirtieth. Yeah. Uh, that'll be McKenna sacked. He's Vincent Company next next season. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Vincent could, Company. What about Villas Boas? I mean, he, could he, a five nil win. Go on. Could he combine being um, Ireland manager with being president of Porto, which I think he's yeah. currently. You never got him around the tiny table in uh, the Prem Prem Sports One. Oh no, Villas Boas. Yeah. No, that'd be a good get now. Okay. I'm just. I'm, I mean, I'm giving you this for free. Where were we anyway on all the amazing football being played on Sunday? Well, uh, was, at Villas Boas, apparently there was chaotic scenes. Uh, chaotic scenes at Manchester City, uh, where Erling Haaland. Uh, put on a, a wonderful display of rage uh, at the end. I mean, it really was 
Someone want to get a hold of him and say, listen, Ernie, you play for Man City. It's going to be all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't worry about it. Well, did you hear, did you hear what Pep had to say about, about this afterwards? I mean, I saw on the BBC website, um, they put it down as, uh, he continued his protests after the game by reposting a clip of the incident on X, formerly Twitter, with the comment, quote, WTF, unquote, which is offensive slang. Uh, this uh, offensive uh, language was raised uh, by a Scandinavian reporter with Pep uh, after the game. Erling was quite uh, furious at the end there, and uh, he's out on Twitter uh, writing what the F now after the game. Uh, what do you think about his reaction? It's normal. Reaction for that 10 players with the referee. So before it was sent off for all the players. The rules for the referees, you cannot talk with the players and for officials, otherwise you'll be sent off. So we should have been sent off to players today. So of course he's a little bit disappointed. Even the referee, if he played for Man City today, he would be disappointed. It That's wa- for sure. It wasn't the line I expected Guardiola to take. All my players should have been sent off. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't expect that from him. Only one is consistency in the application <laughs> of this particular rule. I just to say, this is specifically in relation to the advantage that was briefly played to Manchester City and yeah. then... For some bizarre reason, the referee, after the advantage accrued and uh, Jack Reedish started streaking through on goal, the referee then calls the free kick back to award it to Man City. Which was a very strange decision. I could not, I didn't get what, what was happening. It was weird. It was, um, yeah, it was important. Whatever, I don't know, whatever way he saw, he, he must have had a different reading of how clear through Grealish was than everybody else in the stadium and watching on television. The only explanation for it is that he literally didn't see Grealish. Yeah, or saw or saw whatever angle he's... I don't know, I'm trying to... Excuse me, it was, it was weird. It was a bad, bad, bad call. Yeah, so the, so the City players obviously surrounded the ref and, and um, as Guardiola correctly pointed out, all should have been sent off. <laughs> but, but, but I suppose the problem is, in that situation, if he starts... If he whips out the red card and starts, like, flashing it at Erling Haaland and mm. whoever, you know, that might actually make things worse. I mean, may you know? For, well, let justice for, be done till the heavens <laughs> fall. Again, <laughs> uh, it, it was uh, it, in a situation such as that where you're um, where you've made a mistake to then start com- yeah. compounding it by by issuing red cards. I mean, there was obviously this incident earlier in the season when Virgil Van Dijk was sent off uh, and then got an extra match ban because of his uh, abusive behaviour towards the referee. Mm-hmm in refusing to accept his sending off, you know, mm. uh, he, he kind of swore a bit and then he got an extra ban. Um, will that happen in the case of City? I'm not sure because the problem is it's the, <laughs> it's such a mistake to begin with. You know, it's kind of like the protest is, seems to be kind of baked into that. But um, Guardiola talked a little bit more about Richard Keyes, of course, was um, mm. was explaining that his their, his being sports uh, reporter dug a little deeper. You know, Pep was trying to, he was trying to sort of dismiss the question. He's like, no, no, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to, ne- next question. Like, he was saying a lot. Keith, but, from, but, all the way from Doha. All the way from Doha. His, his reporter burrows deep and gets under Pep's skin and eventually gets a quote out of him. Our studio team thought it was a strange decision at the end when Jack Grealish went through not to play advantage. What did you think? Next question. Did Simon Hooper speak to you about it afterwards? Did the referee speak to you to give you any explanation? No, the master of commander Anthony Taylor, he knows everything in this in this business and he didn't mean anything. 
Monster. <laughs> Take that, Anthony. I've heard that laugh for a while. Uh, God, it just makes you feel good, doesn't it, to hear it? Just master. <laughs> ma- master and com- master of commanders, said Pep. Yeah. But master now, to me, I'm sorry, but there's only one way that Pep is using that phrase. Mm. And that is that Pep, like so many of us own, is a secret super fan of the film Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, 2003. Directed by Ridley Scott? No, Peter Weir. Ah, thank you. See, it's it feels like uh, a Ridley Scott film, but it's it turns out better. Yeah. Well, you fairly <laughs> you've got you fairly tore um, you've taken again Napoleon apart in front yeah. of a live audience. You've taken again it now. Well, you know, it was a it was a horrible disappointment, Owen, as you know. But uh, not 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 like this movie. I mean, Pep obviously is a is a fan. That's a romp, isn't it, Ken? Oh, you know, it's great. It's great stuff. And uh, and I wonder Blow your britches off that movie. It's about a guy called Lucky Jack. You know, uh, <laughs> they've got an unlucky Jack. At City, um, but Pep is obviously the, the captain. Nobody doubts that. And I did wonder if he has kind of been taking on board elements of, you know, managerial principles from how lucky Captain Jack Aubrey runs his ship. You've pushed him too hard. Stephen, I invite you to this cabin as my friend. Not to criticize nor to comment on my command. Well, should I leave you until you're in a more harmonious frame of mind? What would you have me do, Stephen? Tip the ship's grog over the side. Stop their grog. Nagel was drunk when he insulted Holland, did you know that? Stop 200 years of privilege and tradition. I'd rather have them three sheets to the wind on occasion than have a mutiny on my hands. You see, I'm rather understanding of mutineers. Men pressed from their homes, their chosen occupations, confined for months aboard a wooden prison. Stephen, I profoundly respect your right to disagree with me here in this cabin, but I can only afford one rebel on this ship. I hate it when you talk at the surface in this way. It makes me so very low. Do you think I want to flog Nagel? A man who stood beside me on the gunnel and hacked the ropes and sent his mate to his death under orders. Under my orders. Do you not see it? The only things that keep this little wooden world together are hard work, discipline. Jack, the man failed to salute. For God's sake, Stephen, there's hierarchies even in nature, as you've often said yourself. There is no disdain in nature. There is no humiliation. Men must be governed. Often not wisely, I'll grant you, but they must be governed nonetheless. That's the excuse of every tyrant in history, from Nero to Bonaparte. And I, for one, am opposed to authority. Your opposition is not my concern. Misery and oppression. You've come to the wrong shop for anarchy, brother. Ah! It's flogging. <laughs> Groggin and flogging. That's how. That's how. This, this, that's how. Uh, that's how it works. Ship, the, yeah, yeah. the ship works, and uh, I don't know if that's Groggin and flogging. Tip the grog over the side. <laughs> I think I could. Oh, that's your answer for everything, Stephen. <laughs> I could see Pep wanting to do that, but look, Mr. Uh, come back here, Mr. Fryer, sir, come back here. <laughs> what a, just put the movie on a ship and it becomes a hundred times yeah. better immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so i Jack Grealish is the Grealish rebel in this. Probably getting flogged for one thing or another. Grog, too much grog. He's drunk all the ship's grog. Uh, well, you know what that means. Now, w- one thing that Captain Jack Aubrey would not do is roll over backwards, clutching his head 
as Pep Guardiola did. Oh, yeah. Spectacularly. He, he regretted that one straight away. Did you see it? He performed really? a backwards tumble yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of rocked back up onto his feet. Yeah, I mean, immediately he started with a bit wet arse. He's kind of getting back yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. It was Shouldn't wet. have done that. Shouldn't have. Um, but uh, this was because of Tottenham's uh, great late equaliser. And, you know, this is, I suppose, Owen, this is uh, an equaliser that a big Sam team would not have scored. Mm, a game that a big Sam team would not have participated in. There mm. would not have been this type of game. It just wouldn't have happened. I mean, it's just who we are, man. <laughs> I see you're back on board, or you're on board. What do you mean, back on board? With Ange. Well, what are you talking about? What do you mean, what am I talking what about? You're the about? third member of the second captain's team to have said this to Ken. The first time Did Ken on air. not remember being on air? No, he, he's literally he's forgotten that. And I think the column he wrote... No, he didn't write a column about it. No, he'd written a column that morning. Turns out, Damien Delaney, turns out Damien Delaney was right. Yeah, exactly. Well, um... Ken's no. had a look around at his life and at the world and said... We need more Ange Postecoglou's in this no, world, not I, less. No, I, I mean, I even referred to it today. The the Chelsea thing, what, what happened there was was not great. Mm. But that doesn't mean that I I dismiss the man, that, that it's over, that he's completely discredited in my eyes. I, I allow that people can make mistakes, mm. you know? I've been yeah. putting up with you for 20 years. Oh, <laughs> oh here we go. Here we go. <laughs> do you think I could have done that for 20 years if I was prepared to write it's people off for one disgraceful you haven't met, you haven't met 20 years yet buddy <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll get your second you'll get your second stare you, I, I thought it was a mistake but what he did against Tottenham or against City rather I, I mean you, City were pretty heavily odds on to win this game um Tottenham are without, still without important players. This is the last game of Romero suspension. Van de Van, Madison, Bentancur got injured in the last game, out for like another three months. Mm-hmm. Um, they just get keep getting hit with these sort of disasters. And you're going to City, oh, you know, this is going to be ugly. And, okay, it probably should have been. City did help them out a bit by missing a bunch of really good chances. Might have been partly what Haaland was annoyed about at the end of the game, by the way. I think so. Um... But you know, he just kept uh, he just kept sort of um, plugging away. I mean, the last goal, the uh, I mean, the the last goal that they conceded looks like it just it's Basuma doing a crazy thing, yeah. right? Basuma. But if you look at what happened just before it, they've actually given the ball away with a with a, by launching it up the field from the goalkeeper, which they weren't doing really throughout the game, and then started to do once they got back to two wall, and it was by doing this that they allowed City to kind of come back at them like that. Now, Basuma's obviously thrown in a massive mistake. This is the kind of thing that Basuma is encouraged to do. He just, unfortunately, mm. made a mess of it this time. But the goal that they scored in the end, again, was going through the middle, like where it's most dangerous or where City have all these players pressing. And it's Skip, of all people. Skip, who manages to get away from a couple of City players and sort of set them off on the move. Um, it was just really good. You know, it was really brave. Um it resulted in a brilliant game. I mean, I saw Roy Keane saying afterwards, there's, there's a kind of a madness about this. Like, if you, you know, if you can't do it, if you're not capable, basically, of playing like this, it's crazy. But I do wonder what the, where the, I mean, as Sam was saying to us, he doesn't mind, apparently, when Man City or Liverpool or Arsenal do this. But it's like as though then there's a dotted line under those teams and everyone else just has to 
you know, when, when, he's, when, he, limitations. when he says, for example, that he's pragmatic and plays winning football, it's funny how it always seems to end up being the same type of thing no matter where, where he goes. It always turns into the same type of, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We, we, I mean, we'll play. We've still got big, but you know, um, we'll te- teasing it there for the non-members who might want to listen on Wednesday. But I think as, as like, um, you know, Ipswich we're showing or whatever that Galway Ipswich sort of shows, actually a lot of players can do this if they're kind of told to do it uh, or shown how empowered to do it. Empowered to do it. Yeah, yeah. And empowered to make the mistake that will inevitably come. Yeah, um, there's going to be mistakes. I mean, the City should have won this game, but um, but Tottenham scored three goals, and it was a brilliant game for everybody. Uh, it does look as though there is going to be a sacking, though. That was another thing Sam said. Well, people are going to get sacked if they do this. Who is the manager that's going to get sacked? Easy. Go on. Hecking bottom at Sheffield United. It is hecking bottom. Yeah. Well, you just got spanked 5-0 by Burnley. Yeah. Relegation rival. Not a good one. Not a good... Uh, and called out the players afterwards. Whoa. Yeah. Um, sh- and also the club, I think. What did he say about the players? Just it's all their fault. Yeah. It was along those lines. I'm, the I'm, club I'm, I am absolutely... Financially, therefore. I am absolutely misquoting him, but yeah. uh, it was, it was uh, you know, the players need to be having a look at themselves kind of thing. Well... What about yourself, Heckingbottom? Who do you think is going to replace Heckingbottom? That's easy as well. Go on. Chris Wilder. Of course it's Chris Wilder. Why would Sheffield United ever come up with a, a different because idea? Because they don't have the money. So they don't have the money, so they can. So they're hiring. Well, this was suge- this is suggested. Covered Sheffield United a few weeks a few weeks ago on Premier Sports. Uh, also covering all the games midweek. Murph, you'd be glad to know this week. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, this is why I, this will have this weirdly deep knowledge of what's going on in Sheffield United this week. <laughs> and I can't remember the pundits on the day, but it was suggested that the reason they go back for Wilder is he's not going to cost an arm and a leg. And this is a club that were actually close to administration last season. There was if they hadn't got promoted, they were in a serious. Uh, serious pickle they were, there was all this stuff of they couldn't turn on the undersoil heating couldn't turn on the electricity the training ground or whatever they were saving they're having to cut mm. costs left right and centre yeah. so Chris Wilder knows the club did very well for most of his first period at the club before it all went wrong mm. and wouldn't be costing too much money so that's why they're looking at him apparently and his first game if he's appointed in the next two days will be against his his very good friend Jurgen Klopp who uh, himself and Chris Wilder developed this weird vendetta. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that game is at uh, Bramall Lane on Wednesday. I think. What games are you doing this? Well, this they're all on. They're all on. They're but, all what, on. but I mean, you, you can't yeah, do all of them. No. Are you going to do a, a James Richardson? You're you just know? one man on. No, there's there's. But what a man! I'll be in studio around a bunch of games again. Luton Arsenal. Oh yeah. Second Luton game in that's three Tuesday. days. That, that's Tuesday. That's all right. Though. Yeah. It's Arsenal and it's also like Bennett. We we can't get enough. So it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, and you're amazing. Man yeah. United, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. You're uh, joking me. Manchester United against Chelsea. Yeah. But they're two of the best supported clubs in England and here in Ireland. Yeah, on more to the point. Uh, you're jo- really only one of them can emerge victorious, <laughs> or neither if it's a draw. <laughs> yeah. Spurs, West Ham on Thursday. The Thursday night. Yeah. There's also studio around the. Liverpool Sheffield United game. Ah, but you're not presenting that. No, but I can't present two games at one time. Well, I mean, no. you, have you tried it? But Ashing O'Reilly be doing that. So Very good. there's a lot of lot of football, and then of course wow. there's the red button. There's your couple of Premier Sports stations. So listen, wow. what an ad! Good stuff. What Incredible. an ad! Um, Programming continues after this short advertisement. <laughs> so <laughs> should I mention my book now? No, that would be crap. I think that's been it? done enough. Yeah, I think the um, <laughs> Sky um, luckily managed to avoid showing the Liverpool four Fulham three game 
yesterday, it would have caused too much excitement. <laughs> it, it would have been too, so they managed that there was a fairly a, a relaxing kind of a, a soothing West Ham Crystal Palace one all draw. Mm. While there was a four three going on between Liverpool and Fulham, I have to say Marco Silva has had some fairly bitter um, experiences at Anfield. He was the guy who was the manager when Everton, when the Origi goal against Everton in like the ninety sixth minute or whatever. He also lost five two there with Everton. Um, lost one 0 with Fulham earlier this year, but this may be the worst yet. To be three two up with like a couple of minutes to go, having played really well, and then to lose. I mean, if you saw the his celebrations of the three two, like mm. this, he honestly mm. looked like the happiest mm. man in the world. And then moments later, he's there just stunned, uh, and having to watch Jurgen Klopp do his fist pump, uh, fist pump, fist pump thing. Uh, it was a great moment. Um, the kind of comeback that would, you know, give Liverpool a lot of confidence that. Maybe they can actually win, especially you know when you could, when you compare when you have the city results as well, the recent city results. Klopp afterwards. I don't think anyone here would have thought before the game that Liverpool versus Fulham would be a game you'd never forget in your life. But you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it was. It was. It was a um, spectacular game, and you know Liverpool's performance. Great goals. You know, to a bunch of twenty twenty five yard screamers. Uh, disorganized after. Losing the ball, uh, weak at set pieces, goalkeeper throwing one in. It's kind of a bit spice boysy. Or <laughs> did you think you thought Quavian threw one in? Well, he the second one wasn't very good. First one savable. Well, the yeah. fir- the first one sort of went through his legs. They both technically went through his legs. Yeah, I don't. I don't really blame him. Uh, I, I would blame. Him. I think the second one was worse because he sort of he kind of jumped past the ball and you know he ended up kind of getting himself in a tangle uh, and, it, and it wasn't great the first one I don't really blame him for that much I think that has more to do with the team defending it really badly you know if you look at McAllister and Trent Alexander-Arnold who uh, Trent uh, Alexander-Arnold uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold mm-hmm. is in the centre back position um, where he's kind of, you know, because of this sort of jigging around that they do with the team all the time, he's always sort of rotating out of position. Then suddenly Matip had become the right back and Alexander Arnold's the centre back. But like, he's not really doing any defending. He's just jogging back, you know? And it's Harry Wilson there. He kind of doesn't really seem to know he's there. He knows where the ball is because that's what he's staring at. Um, McAllister's the same. Um, Harry Wilson comes behind him. He doesn't know he's there. And. The ball comes across. Wilson kind of stabs it at the goal. He's from pretty close range. It's not surprising it ends up in the net. You know, maybe Allison would save it. But like Allison is a ridiculously good goalkeeper. Kelleher is obviously not at that level. I think if you give goalkeepers, if you or if you give uh, easy shots like this away, you're going to let in goals. Like Liverpool have been have been lucky that Allison's covered that up to a large extent. Um, I know I just you know finally Cuevin Keller's getting some Premier League games like he's barely played in the Premier League I think five times before now mm. so I just it's never good being the goalkeeper when there's a 4-3 thriller being played out so hopefully no, he's he, a little I mean, quieter back there over the next couple of games he had a couple of saves I mean but uh, yeah I suppose he, he it would have been talked about more if they had um, yeah, if they'd not they'd ultimately lost, yeah. if they'd not but ultimately Trent, Trent did it for them Ken I see Jermaine Gina saying you got to just let him off the leash. He's got to be centre mid. Forget about this hybrid nonsense. 
Yeah. If only we'd had somebody closer to home who made that prediction about 15 years ago. Yeah, well, the the the, the hybrid thing, I mean, it it is a bit complicated. Like, it's, it's sort of a bit like, mm, everyone has to think about a lot of things at the same time here. Um, they did actually change in this game to him just being a midfielder because they brought Joe Gomez right, yeah. on to play right back and then it was like okay now you're now you are a midfielder um, the thing is that I just don't I'm, I'm not sure that they've got really a very well balanced they've got a lot of good players at the moment Liverpool but they don't really have an obvious sort of structure there like in the sense that McAllister is playing as a defensive midfielder he's clearly not you know he's, he's slow he can't he's not, he's not really very defensively switched on like, he's very good on the ball, but, like, having him as a defensive midfielder, I think he's just going to get shown up, repeated. And that has happened already quite a, quite a number of times this season. Gravenberg seems like a, a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, like, in the sense that he's very good on the ball. You know, he's got a good touch, and he's he can dribble quite well. And But, like, I don't really know what it is. He's mm-hmm. He doesn't sort of have an obvious function in that side. Sobosai has got a lot of um, quality, uh, attacking wise but it, but it's not really defensive and also I think looks a bit tired he like he hasn't played as well in the last few games as he as he was at the start of the season um, and then you've got Endo who came on late in the game scored a great goal like it's a really lovely goal if you look at it um, but also is slow you know and, and that must, it, must, it strikes me as the only reason why he ha- why he hasn't been playing because he is a specialist at least in that position but you know for some reason Klopp doesn't hasn't been using him yet. Maybe that will change. In you the seem a little bit season. negative about Liverpool after just scoring, as Klopp says, more worldies in one game of football than he can remember. Yeah, no, I mean the thing is that that that, the, that they have a lot going for them, but I think they've got some weaknesses which are going to cost them. Mm. You know, that's why I refer to that Spice Boys. I mean, obviously the difference is uh, I don't think there's many of these Liverpool players who are out like you know doing the conventionally. Tr- oh, sorry, no, you're, you're making a different point. Sorry, <laughs> no, I'm not talking about <laughs> that. Uh, no, it just, it just kind of felt like that's where you were going. But obviously, did, did you see the that. the <laughs> argument between Richard Keyes and Jason McIntyre recently? Yes, uh, I, I, I I'm aware of it, but I don't think uh, I actually. Oh, clicked. one of those clips that you said that you were said a million times. Like, I'm not going to watch this. This is just going to annoy me. Well, I did watch it on, and it was very funny. It was funny, yeah, because <laughs> he just kept repeating the trigger word, yeah, Spice Boys, yeah, yeah. That keys that is his finger on the wound, just like kept pressing. The and and, and McIntyre genuinely lost his rag a bit. Yeah, and he was and he was, and he was getting he was getting really annoyed. And he was like, and he and he came out with this thing that you hear a lot of Liverpool players of that era say, "Well, Man United were doing just as much as us. They were they were out drinking in all the same places. They were doing all that, you know. But they were winning, Jason. Yeah, and he and, and I, he, that's he goes, what elevates keys above almost every other Premier League <laughs> with present company accepted. And Mac McIntyre is like, "What? That makes a difference." And Gray's like, "Of course, of course it does. It makes all the difference." Like, how can you not see that? <laughs> you know, uh, McIntyre still was kind of steaming over it, but it's but it's true. Now I don't think that's still the case at Liverpool. You can't really do that. I don't think and be a Premier League player anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I don't mean to make that comparison. I don't think this is that same problem of indiscipline that they had, or like was the story about Collymore? Like, how much is the fine for missing training? All right, here's a check for two days worth. You know that kind of mm. that's that sort of stuff doesn't happen. But in terms of the uh, the kind of porous defense, like a very good attack and then a kind of flimsy enough um, at the other end. That there's a bit of that going on at the moment. 
Um, whether they can tighten it up, I suppose, is going to be a big question in, in terms of whether they can actually win the title. I mean, if you look at Arsenal, they're a little bit different. I mean, Arsenal have actually, they have, um, you know, scored a few goals in the last couple of games, but there has been a kind of, oh, Arsenal are a bit kind of uh, less fluid than they were last season and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they have definitely tightened up defensively. Actually, if you look at Arsenal's games, they're one of the lowest scoring. I think Man United are the lowest scoring like if you you don't want to be in a Man United game if you want to see goals I think they're the lowest um, they've scored 16 and conceded 17 someone tell them someone tell uh, the UEFA Champions League that uh, yeah, well, they, obviously, they're, they're, yeah, they make nothing about them makes any sense. We will talk about them with John and uh, uh, and Rich, but John Bruin and Richard Jolly. I don't know if I mentioned them earlier. So. Um, but uh, I mean, we we have got a. Uh, it's the highest ever goals. I was looking at the. It's currently it's three point one five goals per game in the Premier League, which would be a, way above the record. Like, okay, this, we're only 14 matches into the season, but still, it's, you know, it's a substantial chunk of the season. Mm. Um, there is something a bit different going on here. Uh, I think in terms of this much more uh, risky type of football that we're seeing is resulting in more high-scoring games. Um, not so much with Arsenal, um, but generally across the league, that has that has been a pattern. The last season... It's just who we are, mate. To have this many uh, goals or th- this rate of goal scoring is 1965-66 before England won the World Cup and ruined everything uh, by by convincing. So enjoy it while we can is what you're saying because the next shift will be a defensive one probably. Well, probably. Well, England win the Euros next summer and then it's Southgate ball, Southgate ball, and on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, nicely yeah. played, Murph. Nicely played. They're all pumped. We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. Inside and outside blue they don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate on the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. Of England reacted to that equaliser perfectly. Um, no panic, calm straight down, continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's heart. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> just cannot. John Bruin and Richard Jolly now on an eventful weekend of Premier League football. How are you, fellas? Good, thank you. You? Good, good. Well, yeah, good after yesterday. And feeling pretty excited about Big Ange. And so is Ken, I should say. Ken has been, you know, a little bit doubtful of exactly, uh, you know. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs ended up pointing up. A little bit of scoreboard journalism uh, yesterday. And now Ken's all on board the uh, the Big Ange train. What did you make of, what did you make of that 
Tottenham performance yesterday, John? Well, having seen a lot of Tottenham this season, uh, it looked like a Tottenham performance and was all the better for it. Now, because Tottenham have had a couple of reverses recently, uh, it felt like uh, that the worm had turned. Everyone was laughing at this Australian who has had this crazy plan that wasn't going to work. But against Manchester City yesterday, I think what he found was Unless he, if, if if Tottenham had decided to somehow revert and transform into an Antonio Conte team, they would have lost that game very heavily. Now, in the first half, you might say that uh, with Erling Haaland not being, well, in a bad mood uh, and way off his game, they might have been five goals down. But it was risk and reward, uh, as Dejan Kulusevski said, don't think, just play. And... They pulled themselves back into it. God will do the it. work. God will do the work. Now, I, I, I didn't know that was part of the Ange um, shtick, but I, I, it's working. Uh, and, you know, you, you had a player like uh, Lo Celso. Now, Lo Celso would not seem the type of player to me that you would play in a game at Manchester City. Oliver Skip would be uh, the type of player that you might play. Uh, you know, a more defensively-minded player. Lo Celso, in the first half, almost completely absent, scores a great goal. They take Lo Celso off uh, for skip and then concede. Now, that's Ange Ball in action, isn't it? That The more risks you take, the better things are for you. Um, and the thing is, Tottenham look like they might score each time. Kulusevski is such an... Uh, uh, he made such intelligent runs all game, um, and I suppose the only thing that that doesn't go against this devil may care thing is that uh, having played Brian Hill, who did set, set up the first goal, uh, he did uh, take him off for a, for a more defensively minded player, which is slightly Ange uh, going against his principles. But Tottenham went, put the game to City, and they got their rewards. It was a fantastic game. We could talk about City's faults. I'm sure we will. Uh, but, you know, uh, the Premier League has another classic to put in its library. Well, this was important for Spurs to get something out of. There would have been no disgrace, obviously, if you lo- end up losing 3-2 to Manchester City, um, Richard. But just on the back of everything that's happened in and around the Chelsea game and since, you would have been going into the midweek fixture four defeats in a row. And I think every manager in the Premier League starts coming under a little bit of pressure if they were to lose that many games in a row. So how important was this? Yeah, I thought it was important. I mean, in the first half, when City went 2-1 up, I was kind of waiting for it to turn into a thrashing and waiting for that to become 3-1-4-1-5-1. And um, I think we're all kind of interested and maybe obsessed even in this construct of Ange ball at the moment. And I actually unlike a lot of people, didn't really think it was pure Ange ball, partly because there were there were points in the first half when they were sat back and camped behind the ball and not putting much pressure on it in a way that the unlamented Antonio Conte might recognise. Um, but also, I think there was, a, in the end, quite a, a good blend of ambition and realism. I mean, the ambition almost caught them out at times. The attempts to play out at the back could have easily brought a goal for City. There were two or three times they gave the ball away, but the Hoiberg substitution that John mentioned, I thought, was important. It gave them a bit of bit more balance in the centre of midfield, adding Hoiberg to Bissouma, giving the other players a bit more licence to go forward. And one of the other things with, with Tottenham away at City is that yeah, they kind of scored the sort of goal that they can score 
under any manager, even Nuno, even Christian Stellini, that first goal, counter-attacking with Sun's pace. You could put any of us in charge of Tottenham and they'd probably score that goal against Manchester City. But in terms of the, ge- <laughs> the general momentum and, and the buy-in with um, with with, po- with uh, Postacoglu and his style of football, I thought it was important. And I also think I like his belief in his players, which is the complete opposite of Conte, who, you know, as you say, probably would have lost that game last year, but also would have used it as an opportunity to throw several of them under the bus. Yeah, You've got Postacoglu there without, I think, nine or ten players with fullbacks playing centre-back, with Brian Hill starting the game, with Oliver Skip coming off the bench, with all sorts of people. And he is showing some belief in his players, and maybe he'll get the reward for that when they... Now they've ended a winning run and maybe they can go into another, sorry, ended a losing run and they can maybe go into another winning run on the back of that optimism. Let me ask your personal opinion here, Rich. I mean, John mentioned that uh, uh, people were laughing at this Australian, you know, um, and his silly ideas. Um, People. People. Well, I mean, John. John, One of them sitting in the studio. John referred to to people. Um, You know, I can, Tottenham fans, I think, are are pretty much on board, or largely on board with Postacoglu, but, you know, I have heard some some of them sort of, you know, a little bit of scepticism, oh, you know, is this all kind of a load of nonsense? I want to ask your personal opinion. Are you convinced, are you convinced by by this man that he really is going to take Tottenham somewhere, somewhere new, or is this all just good PR? I mean, at the moment, it's great PR. Um, I'm not 100% convinced. I mean, it, it, is, it is definitely possible that he will take them to sixth place, but make them a lot happier getting there and have a, ha, a, a, and make it more enjoyable. Um, I mean, my favourite game of, of Angeball as a complete neutral was, um, was the nine men at Chelsea all standing on the halfway line together, which was absolutely brilliant. That was but, the uh, worst. That was the worst game, though. I mean, that was... That was a oh, yes. total disaster. <laughs> but it, 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 it was it was the sort of experiment that, um, that 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 you want people to adopt just to see if it works, and, and oddly it didn't. But it turns out that in reality, and speaking to one or two people there, they don't actually feel that was really what quite what Postacoglu wanted and quite what the team should have been doing. But in the end, he had to sort of style it out at the end of the day with the uh, that's 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 the way we play, mate. Sort of comment. Um, and as you've seen since then, they haven't actually all been on the the, the back four, haven't all been on the halfway line after all. Um, but I think with all of these things, it, it kind of comes down to context. And if you think Tottenham are going to kind of get somewhere, you kind of say, have to say, well, who are they going to finish ahead of? And at the moment, you would you would think there are probably three teams who, are in one order or another, are likely to form the top three. And Tottenham may well be in, in in a group of three teams who are likely to form the next three. And I would suggest that's probably where they are at the moment. But to do that may in itself represent more than we would have expected after losing Harry Kane. And if you can do that, playing good football, getting the fans on board and with the sense that a second season could be better, then I think that's definitely very positive. Man City did get done by the ref at the end there, though, John, didn't they? Yes, yeah. Uh, you hesitated. You hesitated there momentarily. Well, no, I, I, I did, yeah, I did hesitate. Why did I hesitate? Is that my implicit bias against Manchester City? <laughs> sound like be, it, you know. But anyway, but it, it did sound like it, didn't it? But um, uh, okay. Was Jack Grealish going to score it? Probably. Be, 
I mean, Jack Grealish has one goal all season. Admittedly, yes, he just scored it early. ten minutes earlier. Yeah, he yeah. was at a high. Yeah, uh, he, he he's not. Your, is, is he on a high though? <laughs> <laughs> is he on a is he on a high though? I'm not sure. Um, Michael yeah. Richards, uh, who pronounced himself as "I am Jack's mate" on yeah, the uh, yeah. TV after, which you know. Uh, nothing like uh, non-biased punditry, is there? Um, which he seemed to be concerned for him. So, as if his friends are worried for Jack Grealish, are we sure that Jack Grealish would have rushed away? Ah, yeah, but that, I mean that's beso- that's beside King the point. Erica, his finest. He wasn't given the chance. He wasn't given the chance. You, you don't you don't decide been. whether to whether to make a decision based on you know you don't sort of say oh is that a red card for a professional foul or is this guy so badly out of form that he would have missed anyway? Nah, I don't you know like no, I, I think I, it's, I, but the, but the I, point I, about I Grealish just, the point about Grealish is interesting though. Um, I remember yeah. he got himself booked in this game stupidly for kicking the ball away, and he's been booked. I think I read in your piece, Rich, five times in five substitute appearances. Yeah, I, I do wonder if he's come on sort of a bit too annoyed, a bit too het up, because it, it, it's utterly bizarre. Because I mean, initially, I was surprised that he had five bookings at all because he hasn't played that much. And then you look at it, and he started three Premier League games and not got booked in any of them. He's contrived to come on as a sub in five and get booked in all of those. Um, and that suspension, um, A, gets him out of a reunion with Aston Villa, but B, comes when maybe Jeremy Doku's injured, and C, comes when Rodri's already out. And, I mean, I think Grealish, to be honest, has had a pretty awful season. Mm. Um, and the booking kind of got lost uh, amongst all the many other things that happened in that game, including the... Uh, Erling Haaland tweet and the Ferrari about that late decision. But just to come back to that, I thought Ange Postacoglu made exactly the right point about that. Which Which is just to say, there are so many things that happen in that game. Don't fixate on that one moment. Um, Easy for him to say. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But it's true. But Pep Guardiola said, and he wasn't talking about the decision at that point, but he said, you know, we're humans, humans make mistakes. There were so many mistakes in that game. Haaland missed sitters. Edison should have saved the first goal. People people gave the ball away, left, right and centre. Jack Grealish gets booked for kicking the ball away. Um, and I think it's re- it can be really reductive and simplistic and to just sort of fixate on one moment. I know, it was just um, such an unusual moment. That that's, I think that's what's interesting about this one. You're, you were, listen, I don't want to talk too much. We do no far stuff. But this is different. This isn't VAR. This is pure referee chat right here. And <laughs> I, what, what, I, I, what, believe, I believe Simon Hooper's done this elsewhere. Oh, really? Uh, Something uh, similar? Against... Yeah, for Liverpool. They, what was unusual? They, uh, because John, we did was see... that the, the, this was the famous Mane running through against Manchester United incident. Was that was that I him? So. Same ref. I think so. Right, because what's I unusual mean... about it, John? Normally, like okay, oftentimes you see in football an advantage that should have been given and it's just not given. I think referees blow it up too quickly yeah. a lot of the time rather than letting it go. He did let it go. He made the right decision. You saw Haaland get up and spin. Then Haaland plays his lovely pass and at that point, maybe he did think Jack Jack Reedus has already had his moment and uh, you know he's too unhappy well, to finish his chance. I don't know what it was but it was after the ball was played through and Reedus is in and goal. Then he blows the whistle which is exactly the point where the advantage should be played. Well, yeah, I wonder, you know, when we go behind the curtain uh, with uh, with Howard Webb, whether we'll see that, because, um, I mean, I, I, I think I have to quote this every time I come on this show, but the, the, the that, that sort of stokey accent that you saw during the, 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 the Luis Diaz one, you know, I'm holding, I'm holding, you know, yeah, with, yeah, the, yeah. with the with the referee, with the ons. What are, what are his linesmen saying? You know, the, the, yeah. 
it, it, but I think I think the issue, and I think Richard points out, I think Andrew Postecoglou does. VAR has meant referees are no longer allowed to make any mistakes at all, and that only increases the pressure on them. And I think that is one of the deep-seated problems with the refereeing Ferrari VAR that we have now. Actually, I was just going to say about Jack Grealish. Yeah. Do you think this booking was one of those? They used to say this about Dennis Law before Christmas. Mark Hughes used to be accused of this. Was uh, you'd get a sending off or collect your five bookings so that. You know, maybe Hughesy could go back on the lash in Wrexham or Dennis got Christmas with the family. Right. Do you just think that that, that Jack thought, mm, I don't want to go back to the villa? Well, I don't uh, know. Or he does go back to the villa, but in one of the executive boxes. Yeah, well, it was... Well, which, yeah, which I'm sure he'll enjoy, yes. It, it, yes. Was, it was one of those where you were like, why have you done that? Because it was for kicking the ball away. Yeah, it was it's, nothing. It's kind of like, what... what... You must know that you're going to get booked for that. Like the ref was actually apologising. I just want to note instantly it was Paul Tierney who uh, whistled that time on Man. I don't want to yeah. take that well, one away from him. Okay, sorry, but Simon Simon Hooper, I believe, has some previous for doing this. Yeah. Uh, what was it, was it? Clive Thomas, the, the old referee. Yeah, that happened in the World Cup against. Who was coming across and yeah, yeah, Sweden against Brazil. I think it is yeah. or something like that. But yeah. It, and he did that elsewhere as well. Maybe that's the trademark of a referee. Yeah, yeah. Although those guys were blown up for for a, for a full time or the end of a half or whatever. But just one final one yeah. here on um, on Grealish. You, you mentioned you thought he'd had a terrible season, and okay, he, he's he's played I think about five matches worth, and we you know we played fourteen games. Like you know, in terms of time on the on the field, um, why do you think this has happened? And, you know, the, obviously one big reason for it is Doku, who has come in and just immediately started scoring and, and setting up goals and seems better, whatever. Well, Pep well, seems, well, to, Pep seems to actually. overlook uh, all of Doku's inadequacies. He was dreadful for the first, was it the first, which Spurs goal was, was it? it? The first one, the Son yeah. goal. Yeah. And so that's grand, Jeremy. You yeah. work away you there. You give me so much, Jeremy. Yeah. You give, you give me, you take away, but you give me so much. But like... Greenwich was an important part of this team. They won the treble last season. They've lost big players. Um, Mo, you know, Gundogan most obviously. De Bruyne has has been injured for the whole season, uh, and obviously Mares also left. These are really senior players in the in that midfield, and it's just interesting to me that that Guardiola, having lost these guys, also removes Grealish, who he, he spent last season talking about how important he is to the overall balance and chemistry and how he gives us, you know, control and blah, blah, blah. And he's kind of just taken him out. And I, I, I can't help feeling that this must in some way be... Because he hasn't, he hasn't been injured, right, Grealish? He, you know, he's been available. Maybe he did, uh, he, he had, he's had a minor injury or two, so it's been a bit of a stop-start season. Yeah. But he has been available for a lot of games, yeah. But I feel it has it must have something to do with what was happening in the summer. Like what? You, you, do, you do wonder about that, and you do wonder about his form, and if that sort of... Uh, Manic week, you know, is uh, is taking its toll over six months. You mean the, I, I, I don't, I don't the, know if the celebrating, the, the, yeah, they're just the, you know, I'm um, having a great, you know, yeah. he's celebrating, mm. and, and that's great. But like, I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to have a knock on effect on us four months later. I mean, personally, no, I doubt no. it. But I think from Guardiola's point of view, I just don't think he likes that. Yeah, I think Doku has probably settled quicker than expected, which has come counter to to, to, to Grealish's uh, interests. Um, his season just hasn't got started at all. Um, and City have had this new dynamic in the team, which until the last few games have been working pretty well. 
um, in that they've had Doku, um, Julian Alvarez and Phil Foden, who were on the bench at the end of last season, have been starting. And all three of them individually have generally played pretty well and got either goals, assists or both. But what you've seen in these last three games, and which might actually help Grealish get back in the team, is that City have kind of lost a bit of control. And you mentioned Gundogan going and De Bruyne being injured and Stones has, has barely played as well. And he was one of the players that gave them some control. But so did Grealish. I mean, Grealish became a bit of a project player for Guardiola, you know, maybe taking away some of the flair, but either chaining him to the left touchline to drag defences wide, but also to get him to, to keep the ball, which Doku obviously doesn't really do. You know, Doku is going to run at defenders and maybe it produces shots or chances and maybe he loses the ball, but he's kind of the anti-Grealish in that respect. Um, so in, in terms of the dynamic in the City team, I think you might see something shift. Um, individually, I think all of Doku, Alvarez and Foden deserve to play, but for the balance of the side, it wouldn't surprise me if he brings in someone like Kovacic, Wenfit or Rico Lewis. Um, but I don't have a definitive answer on Grealish. It's just kind of watching him. He's just not being good. Yeah. And it does seem whenever he's come off the bench, he has looked um, more determined to get people booked and in the process get himself booked than to actually do anything. And as though he's kind of doing a sort of Robbie Savage slash Paul Dickov tribute act. <laughs> oh, well, let's talk about someone else who hasn't been good. Um, and who didn't have people sticking up for him, really. Well, Mike had tried a little bit, uh, but when he it, there was a public crucifixion last night on Sky after the game. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Rich, you would have been at the, you know, the game. Maybe you saw I it. I saw it later, yeah. Roy Keane and Jamie Carragher absolutely hammered Marcus Rashford for, I mean, obviously this game hadn't been on Sky. Uh, it, would, it had been on TNT the previous night, and so I suppose they wanted to get their kind of pundit's take on this. But just, I, I was struggling to remember the last time I'd seen an individual player hammered so much for his part in what was overall a, a woeful enough display by his team. Uh, what do you make of that, John? And what do you think is the problem with Marcus Rashford? He didn't do he didn't do a Grealish on it in the summer. There was you know there's none of that going on. He's play he's playing nearly all no. the time. He's just totally collapsed. You know, thirty goals last season. He's got two goals so far this season. Um, what's going on with this guy? I, I think Rashford has always been a streak player. I think that's always been the case right from the very start against Midgetland all those years ago. Uh, and he needs to feel the confidence of those around him uh, and obviously have players around him that he feels confident with. Um, if you remember last season... Uh, he wasn't playing very well, I don't think, until he went to the World Cup and then went into this streak. Um, as regards his... Well, it, it got to the point, didn't it, where uh, Roy Keane, Jamie Carragher, uh, was all picking over his state of mind. Roy was talking as though uh, his friends, that are Manchester United fans, were telling him that the, the fans are getting on his back now. They really are, though, John. Uh, I mean, which, you know, the, the, when you look the, at... The, I, I haven't seen a single positive comment about Marcus Rashford in months, you know, and there's, no, real, uh, there's uh, like, real anger towards him, which is which is kind of interesting. Like, this guy, you know... Because he doesn't it, work. It, it, that, it, that, it's that, it's true, not just yeah, not scoring and, goals. It, it, the feeling is, and a lot of clips that were highlighted against Newcastle would seem to illustrate that he... He, he's not putting a shift in. He's just not doing it. 
Yeah, yeah. And th- this, and again, my own match-going friends will, will say the same. Uh, they have a very different view of Rashford than than I do, which is that he's lazy. He doesn't put any work in. He's you know, unless the ball comes to him, he's not gonna he's not gonna put a shift in for the team. Um, now, United used to have a player like that. It was called Cristiano Ronaldo, mm. who don't put a shift in for anybody but himself, but was good enough to get away with it. Rashford isn't of that level, uh, and. Be, I think we, I think we've moved beyond that point, haven't we? Where Rashford's other um, interests uh, have, have become uh, there was a point, wasn't there, where a lot of people just attack Rashford because of six of football. You're getting distracted with all this kids feeding kids stuff. Yeah, well, that's that stuff's on the back burner now. We don't really hear that much about that. I'm sure it, it, it continues in the background, but it's now about his performances on the field. He's now down to being a football individual, a player. And he is playing really, really badly. Uh, the only thing I would say, uh, he is not alone at Manchester United in playing badly. Uh, and we are at the point where we're beginning to question what the manager is getting out of those players because uh, there are several players that are, that are in a position. It feels that Rashford, as is the most high profile, is the one being targeted. Uh, but... Um, as I say, he's not alone. No, he's not alone, John. But but at the same time, Rich, I know you were at this game uh, as well when when Newcastle had a you know very deserved victory against a pretty weak Manchester United. Um, Rashford at least was there. Jaden Sancho seems to have been treated rather differently for his similarly ineffectual performances. Oh, now it's not as though there's like a campaign to get Sancho back in that I've, that I'm aware of. It's mainly whenever I see his name mentioned, it's people going, this guy has made 4 million pounds since he last kicked a ball. You know, this is a disgrace. You know, that's the kind of, there's anger towards him as well, but there is also, there appears to be a bit of a double standard here. You know, if I'm I'm talking from Eric Tanag, you know, how is it that Rashford seems to be immune? I mean, I don't know if he will be for much longer, but he's there all the time. And um, and Sancho's been been sort of bombed out in in a way that the more you the more you look at the situation, the crazier it seems. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I mean, if you go back to when Sancho was initially binned and exiled, it was the fourth game of the season. So by that stage, you know, Marcus Rashford actually had had a couple of bad performances in the first couple of games, but you know, he's still coming off the back of a thirty goal season at the time when Sancho is basically saying he's been made a scapegoat and others are being treated far better, the you could say that certainly seemed true of Anthony, who played a lot of games last season without really convincing um, he had the odd moment. But overall, it seems as though one of them was very much the teacher's pet and another one wasn't. But, I mean, in terms of Sancho, Ten Hag will... And, you know, and... and the general feeling is that this incident in training was not Sancho's first infraction and things have been building up to that. Okay, fine. But three months on, it's achieved absolutely nothing. Ten Hag talked of using it to bring up standards in the group and you have to set standards. And, you know, that's something that, for instance, you go back years, Alex Ferguson did when getting rid of Paul McGraw and Norman Whiteside because they're drinking. So far, Manchester United's standards on the pitch this season have been very low. The standard of the work rate of some of their players has been low, and Rashford became the kind of the face of that on Saturday, though he probably still covered more ground than Anthony Martial. 
Um, so there's no evidence that this has achieved anything. As you say, Ken, Sancho has presumably earned quite a lot of money whilst doing absolutely nothing. At the moment, you seem to have two very stubborn men, both refusing to back down. Um, some of Sancho's teammates suggested weeks ago to him that he should back down and apologise. He hasn't done that, so you don't see that he's likely to suddenly do it now, nor is Ten Hag likely to do it. He's waiting for Ten Hag to get sacked. Well, that's what we have to presume. So but, I mean, how, how, long, also, how long do you think, how long do you think he you, has to wait? Just stick wonder, it out to Christmas? You also wonder why no one at Manchester United is saying to Eric Ten Hag, we paid seventy-three million for this guy. We're paying him about two hundred grand a week, or whatever it is. You have a duty to try and use him. And they, Manchester United, have gone all in on Ten Hag for all the criticism that the Glazers get, and quite a lot of it is deserved. They've backed Eric Ten Hag, but clearly, people like John Murtagh and Richard Arnold are not willing to go to Ten Hag and say, "Bring back Jaden Sancho. This just hasn't worked." And in terms of the broader situation, like the Manchester United wingers and Rashford not tracking back, it's kind of been a theme for United wingers for years. I mean, when Martial played wide, he was not renowned for protecting his fullback. Obviously, in Ronaldo's second spell, he hardly ever played wide, but he didn't go back when he did. Garnacho doesn't really do it, and he's a young player who ought to. Anthony, who's supposed to be, you know, the epitome of Ten Hag ball and all the rest of it. I don't think he's great at protecting the fullback. Yeah. And you look at the, the three most obvious examples for everything in, in, in the current days are always Manchester City, Arsenal and Liverpool and their wide players. But you can also look at uh, Newcastle on Saturday. Oh. If you want to play wide in, a, in an Eddie Howe team, you've got to run all day and in both directions. Well, this is the thing. This is the... This is the... This is what's so bad about this, I think, from Ten Hag's point of view. He just keeps getting shown up by mm. by managers who who haven't been there as long as he ha- or rather Eddie Howe has, Eddie Howe has been mm. there longer than Eric Ten Hag. Sorry, I'm, I'm mistaken there. But Eddie, yeah, Eddie but, Howe and Postecoglou, we're talking about teams that have uh, a clear style of play and have clear buy-in from their players. You know, you look at someone like oh, yeah. Anthony Gordon or Miguel Almiron. These guys are not like oh, you know, they look like absolute you know, 120-minute bionic athletes who are just going to go and go. But they do for for how? Yeah. And somehow he can't get that out of his players. I think in virtually every game this season, you could look at the two teams and say, which one of these teams is better coached? And the answer would be not Manchester United. You know, that's the case, <laughs> the two Copenhagen games, for instance. I mean, the Brentford game where Scott McTominay bailed them out with his one-man Sheringham and Solskjaer impression. But I thought Brentford were really well coached by Thomas Frank that day with obviously lesser players, lesser funds, all the rest of it. And that's one of the damning things. You go to Newcastle and they just always look very well coached and they always look very well motivated. And of course, there's other things in the background at Newcastle and people have talked a lot about their owners and no doubt will do again in the future. But in terms of just players giving 100%, players improving under a manager, players being up for every game, that's kind of what you'd want from your team, whoever your team is. Mm. And United's almost the opposite. I was saying this on Saturday that, I watched Ten Hag's United play, particularly away from home, though at home too. And I wonder what, you know, I'm no tactical uh, expert, as I'm sure the listeners know by now. 
but I have no idea what style he's trying to play. I, t- I think one of the more damning things about the, the, the Ten Hag regime so far, let's say that, is the players he's brought in. The players that are supposed to um, uh, embody the, the Ten Hag philosophy. Uh, Anthony, well, at this point he's a bust, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, but this is one that interests me, Amrabat. Oh, yeah. Now, what's this guy about? I mean, he <laughs> appears to add an element of chaos almost every time I see him play. Uh, funny enough, I was watching AEK Athens against Brighton the other night, mm. and his 36-year-old brother was playing, and I thought, United needed, they got the wrong guy. The they wrong Amrabat. Did, did, yeah. did the 36-year-old brother run faster than the Manchester United Amrabat? He did, he did, yes. I mean, this... And, uh, of course... The Amrabat that I remember, uh, the Sofian Amrabat that we remember, is was so good for Morocco at the World Cup. Mm. Now, of course, there is always that note of caution signing players that have been good at the World Cup. But, of course, Ten Hag had worked with this guy before, so we'd know all about him. But he seems to sign these players, um, and maybe uh, Martinez, uh, we can, has, has been injured, uh, and has suffered really badly from that, who, who did look as though he would fit into a Ten Hag team. Beyond that, can anyone point to one of the signings that's worked in that regard? Oh, now is the second best is... goalkeeper in the league. Well, yeah. It, it, uh, According to the manager. I mean, come on. I mean, and, and the thing is with Inanna, um, uh he and his people have been trying to hawk him into the Premier League for years uh, and probably waited for, I mean, uh, and that has arrived because Ten Hag was the manager. United wanted to get uh, De Gea off the wages. This seemed like a good deal. Let's be fair, Anana was excellent last season in the Champions League. Um, I feel bad for him because if you're a goalkeeper and you come into a team that defends as badly as Manchester United, it's going to be difficult. Unfortunately, he's not doing his own... He's not fitting his own technical specifications, is he? Because he's making a series of mistakes. Um, but yeah, it, 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 again, there's another one that embodies the Ten Hag thing, which is that players come in and they don't rise up for a manager. It's not like you know, I mean, it's almost it's almost actually you know, <laughs> you're almost at the point of Fergie bringing Jim Layton down south and oh dear, it going it going bad. Um, but um, Ten Hag looks lost to me, and there have been you know they went on that run of. Of, of, of winning matches, pulling themselves up the table, and there's this this vague wave of optimism going around. But really, it was all quite false, wasn't it? Because United played badly in just about all of those games. Well, just last word on that, Richard. Just on Onana, I think unfortunately, whatever stats um, his manager wants to trot out, people people know what they're seeing, and also it's becoming this sort of pantomime almost. He's like this this panto figure at the Newcastle game. Every time he's getting the ball early on, like so much of the TV build-up was about him. It's a good percentage of it was talking about just basically how difficult the season he's had. Then the fans are on him at every opportunity, which is obviously, unless you're impervious to it, is going to affect your performance as well. So he's kind of in that cycle now where fans at other stadiums are getting on him and he's just, he's kind of this ridiculous figure, which is a little bit unfair for obviously an elite goalkeeper. Yeah, and it take it will take him a long time to get out of that cycle. Um, assuming he does, you need and actually until the Galatasaray game the other day, he he 
been in quite good form in the Premier League. They had had some clean sheets. They had had some good saves. But even then, the memories of the first couple of months of the season were sufficiently strong that very few people, with the exception of Eric Ten Hag, were uh, calling Anand the second-best goalkeeper in the Premier League. And quite a lot of them were waiting for a mistake to happen. Um, And now it does appear as though his own defence don't have a great deal of confidence in him. There was Mm. that bit of miscommunication with Diogo Dalo after about five minutes at Newcastle where Dalo sort of puts the ball over over Anana and you're wondering where it's going. And, okay, yep, the the goal isn't his fault at all. But it's, it's, it's another classic Manchester United farce where the expensive solution instead becomes the problem. And if Eric Ten Hag is sacked at any given point and a new manager comes in and whoever Richard Arnold's successor is or John Murta or whoever John Murta's successor is says to the new manager, what do you want in the transfer market? The answer might be, well, I want a goalkeeper, a central midfielder and a right winger. And they and they look at things and say, well, we paid forty three million for a goalkeeper in Anana. We paid eighty six million for a right winger in Anthony. And we paid sixty-three million for a central midfielder in Casemiro, um, and so they. John was talking about Ten Hag's transfer record. It's it's poor. There's no there's no two ways about it. But the recurring themes in it are, are kind of the players that who are very much his players, and this faith in anyone who has ever played in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anana ticks all the boxes, and unfortunately for Ten Hag, Anana is currently becoming the face of Manchester United in that respect. And it will take a long time and a lot of error-free performances for him to win people over. Richard, John, great stuff. Thanks, Emil. People in the bars and in the clubs back in Ireland. That, that was for them. Oh, it's a wonderful strike! That man, Jimmy Quinn, the North have taken the lead and Windsor Park has erupted. And, uh, a little over 14 minutes to go. America seems an awful long way away at this point of the night. The feverish checking of the watches continues. Plenty of time for us to get back in it. And Irwin with the free kick. Here's Dennis Irwin to take it. Comes straight out to McLaughlin. It's there! Alan McLaughlin has done it! He could not believe it. He looked for the Heidman's flag, but Winter Park is stunned into silence. His very first goal for the Republic of Ireland. He sees the responsibility. And the man from Portsmouth proves himself another masterstroke as a substitution. Alan McLaughlin has struck gold for Ireland. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Another little news line out of the Newcastle Man United match is that Nick Pope had a lot of injuries lately in Newcastle and mm. they lost their goalkeeper Nick Pope who I think dislocated his shoulder. Yeah, it looked like uh, it. Has done it before as well. Eddie Howe was saying afterwards so because uh, it looked kind of it didn't look like anything particularly bad as it happened but then he yeah. was clearly in a lot of pain going off the pitch so he's going to be gone for a while and in comes David De Gea. Whoa, he's got a job. Well, not necessarily, Leon. He might have a job. Craig Hope reports that Newcastle have extended feelers towards <laughs> extended <Saturday>. feelers. <laughs> well, I don't know if he used the phrase, but that, that's they, they the have feelers out. The feelers have been extended in the direction of David de Gea, who, as we know, has not been uh, engaged in any meaningful football activity for mm. some time. But don't Newcastle have Martin Dubravka and Loris Karius? They're two goalkeepers that, like, I've heard of and have watched multiple games of them playing in. Yeah, it's almost as though... Uh, I mean, the last time they played Loris Karius, they actually lost to Manchester United. Hard as that may be to believe, as they have played them um, three times since and beaten them in all three games. Yes. Um, De Gea, however, is obviously free agent, and this was the story that Newcastle are interested in. However, De Gea would have to accept that his wage demands, or the, the wages that he was on at Manchester United, £375,000 a week, is too surely, much. Surely the last four months have been the sort of bracing corrective that was required for David De Gea to, you know, reevaluate some things. Yeah, well, you know, is is he really that bothered? He did you see his tweet by the way? Yeah, it was just a freezing cold emoji. Was that it? Yeah, he tweeted a freezing cold emoji around the time that United were losing to Newcastle, but I or maybe it was after the game or something, and I saw some Manchester United fans taking offence to this as though it was some kind of a taunt at Manchester United but I assumed it was something to do with the weather being cold no? Yeah I, I would say I thought that was it Well, I don't it, got know. Of, it got a lot of interaction uh, 141,000 favourites so, uh, 17 million views for this bad boy But what is the meaning of it? Like it, what is the offensive that's meaning what everyone, That's what everyone's it, asking that's, that's what being, 17 million people are asking I thought it was just I mean it was cold Yeah it was very cold Was it, was it snowing? Is he in Manchester? Did, did it start snowing or something? Ugh, you know anyway uh, one way or the other uh, supposedly Newcastle are interested but he would have to drop his wages but I can't help but see <laughs> that Newcastle are owned by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund and if I'm David De Gea I'm thinking, of, well, sorry, Eddie, yeah. I would take a pay cut for every other club in the world except you. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done for me lately, Eddie? You know, I want what's coming to me. <laughs> he, you know, you can play Loris Karius in goal if you want, yeah, Eddie. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you want me, yeah. it's going to catch you. <laughs> you better put feel some, anything right now. You better put some pound notes in those feeders. Yeah. Yeah. Send them in my direction. So, yeah, uh, whether that happens re- remains to be seen. Coverage of the midweek matches on the World Service throughout the week. You'll be hearing plenty of Sam Allardyce, football philosophy, his time at Limerick, where he started his managerial career. 
his brief stint with England, which he discusses. All of that for World Service, and of course the hat being thrown in the ring, as you heard there. All of that for World Service members on Wednesday's podcast. So sign up now if you haven't already done so. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Hero. Thanks for listening. A reminder, this Second Captain's podcast is part of the ACAST Greater Network. And if you do sign up, you'll be hearing all episodes without any ads. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.